This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. The Specialty Produce app is one of the world's most comprehensive fresh food databases. Discover new produce items through detailed descriptions and flavor profiles that allow your tongue to give taste and texture to foods you have never encountered. Or browse our library of fresh food chronicles, indulging on the rich history, culture, and current affairs of each produce entry. And take your time because there's a lot to digest. Stay hungry, friends. Download today on Apple or Android and dig in. This is Very Good Talk with Jessica Waite, and today we are in the studio with Kelly Gray Meisner, and we will be talking about food as medicine. Kelly, would you um, be able to start us out with a bit about your interests and experience? Sure. Um, So I am an integrative and functional registered dietitian nutritionist here in San Diego. Wow, my interests, I feel, are... (laughs) When it comes to food, nutrition, and health, you can have a wide spectrum of interests. But right now, my focus is um, helping bridge the gap between uh, how people see uh, personal health or medical health and planetary health as being different things. Um, but in my world and having you know, worked with patients and clients for a long time, I think 17 years now, um, I see how those are inextricably connected. And so that's where my, it's really where my interest lies. And it is where I um, find the intersection that has the most potent medicine for most people when they can connect with themselves and with uh, the land that they're in mainly through food. That's one of the main ways that we do it these days, um, that there's a lot of alchemical healing that can happen. That's great. Um, so I think the the word or term food as medicine is kind of a buzz term right now. Mm-hmm. And what does that really mean to you in your practice and your your experience? Yeah, so that's an interesting term. And in fact, I'm trying to remember where I was, I think I was giving... Um, Yeah, I gave a keynote at USC a couple of years ago, and they said, we want you to talk about food as medicine. And I said, yeah, I will only talk about that if we change it to food is medicine. Oh, and I actually just spoke at a local thing, too, and I said the same thing. Um, Because even the word as, it's um, a separation, as if it's not a part of us. Um, So, yes, for me... um, Food is medicine. I think that's natural. Being a nutritionist, that's my um, that's my profession, my vocation. Um, but also in, um, I teach also, I teach a course at Point Loma Nazarene for um, their master's program in health coaching. And um, food is medicine is just a fact of life. You know, before we had grocery stores and um, these... Uh, 
conveniences that we have now for food, we just uh, ate what was around us. And um, we didn't have the need to go outside for medicine because we were getting um, the medicine from food. It's different now, obviously. <laughs> and I'm not suggesting that we need to go back to the days of, uh, of old because we had other challenges then. But I do feel that there is a way to bring that ancestral land connected wisdom into modern times and probably the most easily accessible for most people is through food um the challenge though there is um that yes it's a buzzword food as medicine is for sure a buzzword and i do think nutrition in general um and diets and you can't see but i'm using air quotes because <laughs> i don't love that word diet yeah. um it is a place where there's a lot of contention and arguing and and especially in the research you have you know some people on one side and other people on the other side and a lot of times it's characterized with the vegans on one side and the <clears throat> paleo keto people on the other side and uh I choose to stay out of that whole um at least I try to. It's kind of difficult, too, because people have a lot of questions. Um, but the truth is that there's a lot of similarities within all of those diets, air quotes again, um, and that it's that we're eating things that come from the earth. Um, and when we stick to that, <clears throat> excuse me, we don't have uh, problems. <laughs> um, that's what, And that's really what the research pans out. That's not a popular position as somebody in my profession uh, because they would much rather have sign bite, sound bites and sell meal plans and do hashtag 30-something or another <laughs> challenges that, you know, is great for people who are marketing. But when you're actually dealing with sick people or even healthy people, the best way to help them further their journey towards health, whether that's just getting healthier or coming out of some sort of dis-ease through some sort of transformational healing process, is to empower them through making uh, food choices. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think it's it's easy to get caught up in a quick fix. You know, we're all kind of looking for that, especially in this day and age of everything being instant gratification. Mm -hmm. And to really just give someone the simple of simple answer of no, it's a you know a healthy whole food diet. However, you you would put that. But mm -hmm. if you were to give one recommendation, just kind of starting this off, um, listening to you know or for whomever is listening to this, based on all of your um, experience and research. What is the easiest way to kind of summarize? Like, this is a great way to eat and live. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> I know it's hard. It's like picking everything and trying to condense it. It's not that it's hard. It's um, because when you ask that question, uh, my body immediately knows what the answer is um, because I've done the work to be able to listen to my body and know what that answer is. Um, but that that's something that's very hard to teach somebody else how to cultivate that deep listening within, especially in this uh, instant Instagram and Insta gratification, <laughs> right? Insta everything. Um, but I would say um, when it comes to food, 
And like the best advice I could, it's so funny. Now the answer is coming to me. It's what Michael Pollan said. It's probably, you know, I've studied nutrition for 17 years. I'm embarking on my PhD now. Um, and this the best thing I ever learned came from a journalist named Michael Pollan. And he said, eat food, mostly plants, not too much. <laughs> I love that quote. I think I've posted it multiple times on my own personal Instagram. Yeah, so Instagram. It's, it's probably in all of the lectures that I give anywhere I go. And, and it does need to be hashed out a little bit because um, it's unfortunate that we live in a culture that we have to define what food is. And I would say 85 to 90 percent of what most people eat is not what I would define as food. And it's actually not what scientists would define as food as well. We would call that a food-like substance or a food-like product. And that's basically what you find in the innards of your grocery store. Um, the things on the outside, the perishable things, the things that will go bad and that came from the earth, whether that be plant-based or animal-based, those are what we would have um, ancestrally eaten as food. The other stuff is not. So that's the definition of food. And then mostly plants. This is where things can get can really go off the wire. And I've been um, personally in a lot of different um, ways of life, but most of my life I was vegetarian and are vegan um, until I had some health challenges and some things had to change. Um, and I would still say I'm plant-based, mm -hmm. right? Because we should, I would say everybody except for a couple of conditions should be primarily plant-based, um, that's how we've always been. That's why we have the teeth that we have. That's why our microbiome is happy because mm -hmm. it's always diverse plant species. Um, and that doesn't mean eating four different types of kale. That means eating different species, um, you know, different wild plants, dandelion greens, uh, bok choy, other things from different families. Um, but that should be the predominance of, of our plate, our bowl, our... Um, cup if we're having a smoothie that's the predominance and nobody can really argue with that but it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be plant exclusive and in different times in our lives our bodies need different things and based on our genetics and our epigenetics what current life circumstances we're going through if we're trying to heal from a diseased state um, different things are needed and we know this in all ancient um, medicine practices ayurveda tells us this um, chinese medicine tells us this these are things that um they're not it's not a polarized notion that mm -hmm. sometimes you're going to need something that's not a plant but mostly what we need are plants and even people who think um, they don't need plants. Like I feel like um, there's this uh, book that's getting a lot of hype lately called Plant Paradox. And um, it's so silly <laughs> when you boil all of it down um, because the main reason why people get to a point where they can't tolerate a lot of plant material is because they have what we would call in functional medicine and medicine in general something called dysbiosis, which means a disharmony of the gut microbiota. So instead of going to the root cause of that, which is how can I reharmonize my digestive system, we go to, well, now I have to take all these things out that cause me harm. Mm -hmm. And and you can, you can uh, align that with how we live life, right? We can't just go around avoiding all the things that are hard for us. We don't grow that Absolutely. way. Um, so yes, it should be um, plant 
you know, mostly plants. And for people who have digestive challenges, then you change the way you prepare those plants, right? Traditional ancestral um, cooking tells us we need to ferment, we need to soak, we need to sprout. These, this is the way we should be cooking. We're not grinding everything into a flour, making it in a bread that takes 20 minutes to rise because we've added yeast, mm-hmm. right? So this is how we make plants um, work with our bodies better. And then the last one is not too much. And this is something also that I feel gets a lot of um, press. In fact, my mother-in-law just told my husband, oh, I'm doing intermittent fasting. And I'm like, oh, brother, how did this <laughs> get to the YMCA crowd? I, yeah. I'm not exactly sure. Um, and there's a, there is a lot of wisdom and a lot of research coming um, through about intermittent fasting. But, of course, it's become hashtags and all this other stuff. Um, but basically um, – If we're eating too much, especially too much crap, that's going to be an inflammatory process for our body. But the thing that most people don't know is that every time we eat, even if it's the best, um, most organic, most local, most plant-based thing, that's inflammatory to our body. It's um, seen as something our body is going to have to deal with. And again, inflammation is not necessarily a bad thing, right? If you sprain your ankle and your ankle swells up, that's nature's cast, right? Mm-hmm. We That's actually a great thing for our body. So I'm not saying that nobody should be eating ever because it causes inflammation, <laughs> but we can choose the degree to which that inflammation. And we've also become a culture that just eats nonstop. I mean, from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed, and that's never how it was supposed to be. That doesn't go with our circadian rhythm, and that causes a lot of challenges. Yeah. Very interesting. There's mm-hmm. just so much that you've said that I'm sitting here just like, oh, God, this is so great. <laughs> First of all, you're sitting next to a plant-based human. So yeah. I'm like, oh, really? Tell us more about mm-hmm. how we should eat more plants. But I love that. Um, and then also, you know, I was thinking back to genetics class, um, talking about epigenetics. I'm mm-hmm. just wondering, because a lot of our audience might not really understand what epigenetics means. I feel like for so long, it was just like, okay, if we map the hum- human genome, then we know everything. And then along the way, we realized that that's not really enough. Um, can you just maybe briefly touch on epigenetics and how maybe food kind of interacts with our genes? Yeah, or absolutely. Our food experience? Yeah. So let me just give, um, well, first of all, the disclaimer that I'm not a geneticist. <laughs> um, but second of all, um, the basis for the Human Genome Project was to map the entire human genome. And once we got to the end of that genome, we, I hope I don't get these numbers wrong, but I think we discovered we have 23,000 genes as a human being. And a fruit fly has, I think, 28,000 genes. And we were like, wow. <laughs> How did we get to the end of this incredibly expensive um, NIH-funded study and we have less genes than a fruit fly? This is concerning. Um, and... So what we have now learned, and, you know, this has probably been the biggest science of the past decade, is of the microbiome. And that the microbiome and the bugs that reside in, around, and in all of um, the parts of our body and our communities and our soil, these are the things that make up 99% of our genetic material. Um, It's not housed just in our physical genes. And so that's kind of a basis about genes. And then epigenetics is kind of how our genes express themselves. And that um, there's many ways that can change that. Um, One of the most powerful is in our environment. And 
something in our, you know, there's many things that are in our environment, such as stress, toxins, um, people, animals. Um, but food is probably the biggest one because we're constantly putting that in our mouth. So um, when we think of genes, and this is something else I think people get confused about, is that we think we turn genes on or off. And just like as we were dealing with the lights coming in here, it's actually a dimmer switch. Mm -hmm. um, so basically our genes, how we talk about this in functional medicine really, is that our genes load the gun and the environment around us pulls the trigger. So say, for instance, a big one is around breast cancer. That gets a lot of um, a lot of press, right? The BRCA gene. And people think, well, if I have this gene, then I'm going to get cancer. I'm going to get this cancer. Well, yes, your risk is increased, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that gene is going to express itself. Just because we have that gene doesn't mean it's going to express itself. So we, one of the ways that we can either, because also not all genes are, um, not all genes are bad. When we express genes, they're protective. So we can um, turn that dimmer switch on and off one of the main ways is food, but also lifestyle. Um, we can see people completely. In fact, Dean Ornish did an amazing study with prostate cancer patients um, who um, sometimes in prostate cancer, when you're in the early stages, they put you in um, watch and wait category. Mm -hmm. And he did a um, diet and lifestyle intervention with them. And we there's a really amazing graphic, I can show it to you after, that shows that many of the gene pathways, so when they're turned on, they're red, and when they're down-regulated, they're green. Um, pr before and after, like almost everything turned green mm -hmm. just from a dietary intervention, which was mostly plants. I mean, we know, we know Dean Ornish. Yeah. And so this is what we're working with mm -hmm. every day. Um, this is the power of food is medicine. That's why I like to say food is medicine because it's not yeah. just as medicine yeah. because that is the power of it. And it's not just food. So this is one other thing. I'm probably one of the only nutritionists out there who will come out and say, um, that food is much more than what you're choosing to consume mm -hmm. because it's the, um, it's the who washed the plate that that food is on, who transported that food to where it was going to go, right? It's not just the calories and protein that exist on that plate, but also your health is not just the food because the food is coming into a being or a body, which is influenced by lots of different things, right? The, it's influenced by the political climate. Mm -hmm. It's influenced Absolutely. by the weather, right? Yeah. This morning I woke up and I know cold is relative depending on where you are in the world. But in San Diego, we've been having warm mornings and this morning is not a warm morning, <laughs> um, at least for us. And I feel different. I didn't want to have the same thing. Like sometimes in the morning, I'll want to have a juice. I didn't want that this morning. I wanted something warm. It was different, right? So um, we have to take into account that the food, even if it's a what we would deem a perfect meal, if it's going into um, a stressed out, sad, um, you know, being person who's not expressing themselves fully, then it's not gonna. We don't we don't um, harvest or absorb the nutrients like we would if we were more in what you could call alignment or health or something exactly. like this. Yeah.
Very, very interesting. Yeah. That's, it's, and it, you made me think about all the different things I crave in different times of the year mm-hmm. and different weather and different moods even. Um, and probably different and, types of the month. Since yeah, you're absolutely. A woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely yeah. with the chocolate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, one thing I always really like to focus on is I think it's easy for us to be in a bubble, especially people who have the means, the resources, and the time to really focus in on what we should be eating. Um, I think about the center of the grocery store and a lot of those things that are food like products, um, they do happen to be subsidized and do happen to be a lot, maybe more affordable in some people's minds. Um, and easier maybe. And I always kind of try to look at like, how can we provide solutions for people who might not have as much, uh, financial resource or time to really start to kind of, um, kind of shift their diet in a direction that is going to be more, uh, you know, Food is medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a great um, question, and I'm glad you bring it up because this is actually one of my primary um, karmic intentions mm-hmm. in life is to um, – because obviously I run in a circle of functional medicine, integrative medicine. Um, when I do that work out of UCSD, luckily I get to see a broad spectrum of people. But when I do that work in private practice, it's one swath of people, and it's people who are well-resourced. Um, and that's a very different scenario when you're talking about somebody who isn't well-resourced. And I think I'm in a maybe not the most unique position But um, when I was in college, I had my first son very young. He is uh, 20, and he went to San Diego State with me while I was finishing up my degree. And um, we were on welfare, EBT, Section 8, all of the um, resources. And um, so I have firsthand experience um, of how do you make that work. And the truth is I didn't make it work. Um, I used my food stamps. I used WIC. I used all of the resources that were available to me. And then I would frequently have to use my student loan money to buy food Mm -hmm. because I knew what the good food was for us Mm -hmm. and it wasn't within um, the budget. And so when I look towards helping most people – because most people – so if you want to get the the biggest bang for your buck when it comes to – food, uh, justice, and bringing people's health up, um, it's you want to help the people who don't have the resources because that's what makes up the majority of America. And so when I'm working with these people, having been one of these people, um, there's very basic things that you can focus on. For instance, um, One good thing that happens in California is that um, you can use EBT at certain farmers markets, which is great. And you generally will get better deals for organic and local produce there. So that's already a huge um, jump because if you're going to buy a carrot at the grocery store, it's likely going to be at least a week old. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the nutrient density is not going to be the same exactly. as something at the farmer's market that was harvested the day before. So that's already a jump. Um, the other thing, there is one thing in the center of the grocery um, aisle that is super cheap. It's not processed. It's just in the center because that's where logistically it fits. 
Um, and those would be uh, whole grains, like actual whole grains, not goldfish that mm-hmm. say whole grain on them or, you know, some Cheerios that say whole grain on them, but actual whole grains, right? Like brown rice, um, quinoa, farro, um, all the, you know, whole oats, these things are there along with beans. I was going to say, what about like the Yeah, beans? and beans and legumes are um, so cheap. I mean, they're so cheap and they're so um, practical to cook. In fact, one of the probably the most common recipes I give out is how to make beans in a crock pot. Because the thing is, I think a lot of times when we think about um, these communities and honestly – I feel like a lot of people um, refer to them as underserved. I don't necessarily think that they're underserved. I think they're systematically oppressed. Mm -hmm. I don't think that this is something um, that's passive. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we have a socioeconomic political system that keeps certain people not necessarily down, but marginalized. Yes. And it's not um, its not an accident. So I like to say that it's um, systemic oppression. It's not underserved. Um, it's not only that they don't have food, the money for the food, but they don't have the time to make it. Mm-hmm. So it's, and it's not just that either. Sometimes it doesn't feel safe. Sometimes there's not a grocery store. So it's not only just those two things. But when we're going for recipes, and this is kind of where our government gets a little bit tricky, you can't just give food stamps. That's not going to solve the issue, right? So when I'm giving those sort of recipes, specifically beans, you can get a pound of beans for 99 cents. Um, that makes many servings once you cook it, and you can add that to anything, And once you've cooked that, you've got a whole week of chickpeas or black peas or pinto beans, whatever they are. They're nutrient-dense. As long as you soak them the night before, then you pop them in the the slow cooker. I mean, it's so easy. I put um, like – how do you call that? Granulated garlic and then – onions, the dehydrated onions. They just come out of a spice bottle. You can get them at Costco, I think, for less than $3. And those huge bottles will last you forever. A strip of kombu. And you come home to a whole a whole slew of beans that you can then put in soups. You can stir it in your taco meat if that's what you choose to do. You can put it on your salad. You can make hummus. You can do all the things. You can make a bean dip for your kid. Um, you could just eat beans. Mm-hmm. Um, And it's super cheap. And once you learn that and get into the habit of doing that, it's a game changer. And it's a cheap game changer. Um, But you, I don't know that people would necessarily say that because they maybe in a recipe it calls for beans. Well, a can of beans cost ninety nine cents, which you can. For the amount of cooked beans that you get in a can, if you buy the dried beans for 99 cents, you get three to four to five times that much, right? And you can freeze them for later if you want. But usually in my family, we're going to go through mm-hmm. all those beans in a week, right? Um, and then also having the the patience and the resources and the supportive community around the people trying to make this change so they're not doing it on their own. That, that's a huge part of, um, I think, any sort of healing, whether you come from well-resourced or less resource. If you have a supportive community around you and that community makes you feel valued and like you're not alone, that's I think that's the secret sauce that helps people get better. In my experience, that's what I've seen. 
I love that. And that's one thing we always talk about in very good food is just building community around food. Mm -hmm. And then also the integration of food back into our communities in a way that creates resilience. And so everything you've just kind of said supports that. And um, one more thing. I know we always kind of try to keep these to um, around half an hour. So it doesn't keep going and going, but you're just way too interesting. (laughs) I don't want to let you go yet. So I'm fine to stay as long as you want me. Well, the one thing I want to ask you is something we talked about a little bit before was kind of the intersection between um, human health and environmental health. And I think we're all really, I mean, at least I am living and breathing and thinking so much about our environment and what's going on. Um, and how do you how do you really see that intersect and how can we maybe potentially make a shift that will benefit our environment through our day-to-day practices yeah. in food? Because we could go on and on in that one too. Yeah. So, Wow. You can break that down yeah, in any direction no, no, you want. No. I just like the first thing actually that comes to my mind is this um, zucchini plant I have in my backyard. And hopefully this ties in to some brilliance at some point. But so I feel like we really um, – so I would say – the foundation of what I'm about to, you know, riff on is that we've lost the connection to the earth, like our physical connection. I hear a lot of people talk about, oh, let's save the earth and um, let's go to nature, spend more time in nature, and we forget that we are nature. Um, so we really need to remember that. And it's it's much easier to remember that, like remember that, that truth within ourselves when we've got our hands in the earth or on the earth or our feet. So the reason why I think of my zucchini plant is because it's January. Zucchini is a summer uh vegetable. I mean, it's the fruit of the zucchini plant and it should theoretically not be producing fruit anymore. Fruit, vegetable, people get confused about this. It's the fruit of the plant, but yes, zucchini is a vegetable. And um, I was in my backyard and it's still, sure enough, there's four babies on it and it's still making zucchini. And um, I think that if we... So if I didn't have that experience of having that growing in my yard and watching it turn over and watching the other plants die and then other plants come back, they go to seed, like not understanding the cycle of um, Mother Nature, um, I could get really sad by the way the media portrays what's going on. I mean, that. well, don't get me wrong. We're in climate crisis and I really feel we're at a... Um, like a critical juncture in um, really for humanity. I'm actually not too worried about the earth anymore because she's going to be fine. Um, it's just will become uh, impossible for us to survive here anymore. And that's really sad because it's of our own doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this really um, came to life for me actually when I was on the climate change panel. And one of the researchers is an oceanographer. And after the panel my son was so interested in him it was his first time ever coming to something I was at and he only came because he knew Michelle was going to be there and there was going to be food (laughs) Um, but he got really interested in um, this um, gentleman I think his I can only remember his first name Dimitri and he was talking about how they went to um, the Antarctica to see if there were plastics in the water there and there were plastics in the water but they also took like deep um they drilled deep down into the icebergs and they harvested the ice 
And theoretically, this is frozen for a long time, so there shouldn't be plastic there, but there was. And um, man, that hit me in a way that, um, like, I feel like I'm still digesting that conversation, how deep that went in. And so all of that to say, because it probably seems like it's floating out there, but I'll pull it together, Mm -hmm. um, is that I think one of the main things we can do is if we have the opportunity to either join a uh, community garden or grow food ourselves, it's so important, even if it's just a tomato plant or an herb in your windowsill. And secondly, when we go to buy food, don't buy food in plastic. Um, most of the food, I just say air quotes, that's in plastic is like what we were talking about before. It's food-like substance. It's yeah. not actually food. And if you've ever done a beach cleanup, um, anytime I go to the beach, I'm always picking up the trash. Um, most of what you find is from food. Well, food, you know, yeah. with quotes, <laughs> quotes, right? Food. It's the yeah. Dorito bag. It's yeah. the straw from the Starbucks latte. It's the, um, and I'm not demonizing those things, but it's so connected. If we didn't even actually, it, this just happened this morning. I opened my refrigerator. My husband's a high school teacher, and he's on break this week. He went shopping at Costco, and I see this big box of those single-serving organic hummuses. Mm-hmm. And I am like, okay, don't yell at him. <laughs> Find compassion within yourself and speak nonviolently. But why the heck are we buying single-serving hummus when we can make our own or buy a big tub and just pop it out, right? And he comes around the corner. He's like, I know you're going to say something about those hummus. (laughs) I went shopping when I was hungry, and it was an impulse buy. I won't buy it again. But that's just so – it's just a really good picture of how we have traded – convenience for connection completely and how um that convenience is killing us and how i um it's killing us it's killing our planet it's killing you know thousands of species every day and um and yes there's a personal responsibility in that like um you know we i hope that our family doesn't have those single serving hummuses ever again but that's just not where it stops Um, And actually, I told my youngest son, he's 13, that my dream this year is to somehow get plastic taxed. Because I feel like if plastic was taxed, and all of a sudden, if a bag of Doritos, you had to pay for the environmental cost of the packaging, then they'd be really expensive. And that would make me so happy because Mm -hmm. then people, people wouldn't be buying it. But there is personal choice and there's so much empowerment in making positive choices. But I also think that putting the onus on every individual that, oh, if you just do all the right things, then all of a sudden the climate change is going to get reversed. Um, that's uh, pie-in-the-sky thinking because there's these systems in place that if we don't disrupt them from a socioeconomic political stance – all of the individual efforts will not add up to not saying that we should we should do both. Absolutely. But it's a simultaneous conversation. So if you can grow your own and avoid buying things that are in plastic, not only is that harmful for the planet, but any food like, say, for instance, yogurt or a soup, even if it's in like that 
boxed packaging, then you are consuming plastic. Mm -hmm. Um, And we actually find plastic molecules in breast cancer tumors. So not to mention the ice in Antarctica, right? So this is – it's not to scare people. It's not to only put the onus on them, but it's to give them power within a system that feels like it's out of our control. And then please, everybody, uh, register to vote and vote for people whose job it is to represent us, to represent us in in the truth that food is or as uh, medicine. And it's one of the... Um, the most powerful tools we have in our toolbox to keep ourselves and the planet healthy. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, <laughs> of course. I'm of kind course. of a little too moved right now. I feel like I need <laughs> to just take a, take a moment, but I am going to wrap this up today. Mm-hmm. If anyone who's listening wants more information about any of these topics, we have um, a whole lineup of different panels, um, including one that has Kelly featuring um, uh, the topic of, that was the climate change panel, I believe. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then there's a food justice, a food as medicine, which we very well could have called mm-hmm. food is medicine. And um, a whole range of other. Soil, soil. That was my yeah. favorite. That's what actually hooked me into the Very Good Food Foundation mm-hmm. was that panel. Um, so there is a broad range on our website. There's also information about cooking classes coming up and different events that you can engage in if you'd like to kind of um, focus your attention on some of these things. So thank you for listening. Thank you to Specialty Produce um, for hosting us. And thank you so much, Kelly, for joining us and sharing all of this with us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely.